This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. Mailman by Merle Drown and Off the Vine by Brian Brown. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. While there, check out our news blog. You can also find links to us on Facebook and MySpace. Also on our website is the Bound Off Bookstore in affiliation with Amazon. There you can purchase Before You, She Was a Pitbull by Elizabeth Ellen and Bed by Tao Lin. Mailman, written and read by Merle Drown. Listening time, 2 minutes, 26 seconds. Mailman. At least once an hour, Raymond sprints to the road to check his mailbox. Long retired, he doesn't drive. His lathe and drill press, table saw and joiner now belong to his son. The very workshop, a shed he built himself, is locked against him. From Raymond's belt hang keys to turn tumblers long lost, open doors replaced decades ago, start cars gone for junk. Still, he jiggles them, smiles, and looked around as if he might make some happy discovery. He doesn't. At the mailbox, the same gray metal he remembers from the Army Air Force, he pulls the door, bends, and peers. Nothing. Up the road and down, no delivery vehicle appears. Across the street, a cardinal whistles, as if signaling. Again, Raymond pulls, bends, and peers, this time running his hand into the darkened tube as if he can find by touch what he doesn't see. He can't. In the house, Raymond watches his aged wife prepare the electric bill. She inserts the check, seals the envelope, and presses the stamp upper right as accurately as the metal seams he used to weld. Now, letter in hand so he won't forget, he marches to the mailbox. After opening it, he can't help himself from peering, he places the letter on edge and pushes the door shut. He manages only three steps before turning back to check if the letter is still in the box. It is. At his workshop's forest green door, the same color he painted fire cabins for the CCC, Raymond tugs the padlock. None of his keys will open it. Looking up the birch tree riddled with woodpecker holes, he tries to curse, the sounds tumbling from his mouth and growling into the air. Strolling now to the mailbox, he finds his treasure, plucks it, and holds it before him all the way to the house. With a shake of her head, his wife sends him to return the electric bill, a mistake he forgets before he reaches the mailbox. 
the father of three sons, Merle Drown lives with his wife Pat in Concord, New Hampshire, where he earns his living by hook, crook, pen, and ink. Mailman is from his collection in progress, Shrunken Heads, Miniature Portraits of the Famous Among Us, or Balzac in a Nutshell. Pieces have appeared in Amos Keeg, Meeting House, Night Train, and 971 Menu. Off the Vine, written by Brian Brown, read by Sue Andrews. Listening time, 8 minutes, 45 seconds. Off the Vine, by Brian Brown. We have tomatoes in the backyard. They are ripe on the vine, red and ruddy like firecrackers. But John says he'll pick some up from the store. We've been married for four months, and I no longer wake up thinking, I am somebody's wife. Instead, I wake up wondering what I'll do with my day how I'll convince myself I am both a busy and worthwhile person. Suddenly I am a housewife instead of just unemployed. Somehow it is worse. We need tomatoes for a salad I am making for dinner. John says too many squirrels have gotten to our crop. They leave half-eaten tomatoes uselessly hanging like so many broken Christmas ornaments. It's pointless to go out there until we do something about those damn squirrels, he says. When we moved into the house, the tomatoes were small and green. John's stuff was packed in large and neatly labeled tubs. He carried each in and stacked them against a wall. Everything I owned was in a couple of boxes I got from a liquor store. John carried them, too, and by the time we'd unpacked, everything was ours, and I didn't want to remember what came from a liquor box or a tub. Tom came to meet us the first day. He brought a package of Oreos. I'm your neighbor, he said. I don't bake, and my wife's dead. He was 68 and wore flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt that he hardly bothered to button. He shook John's hand first and then my own. His hand was soft, his grip firm. I'd invite you in for a drink, John said, but we have nothing. I said the best we could offer him was a cookie and held out the package he brought. Tom winked and said that was fine. I would have brought something from my garden, Tom said, but I didn't know if I'd like you. We laughed and he came in. He ate more than half the cookies before leaving. I found the tomatoes on my first day alone in the house. John was back at work and I was back to nothing. We'd bought curtains and sheets to further the idea that everything in the house was ours. My life was all transitions. Girlfriend to wife, Ms. to Mrs., apartment renter to homeowner. The transitions did nothing for my sense of purpose. There were three cages. Large wire towers covered in soft green vines. The vines were twisted and long. They looked strong enough to stand without the cages. The cages stood in a neat row in the sun. I was in the backyard because I decided I'd use my time to make the house my own. It seemed important that I know every last corner, for myself and for John. Those are Marilyn's tomatoes, Tom said. He was at the fence, smiling at me. His bare shoulders and kind eyes were visible, and I realized just how tall he was. Marilyn was worried about leaving her tomatoes, he said. I told her I'd make sure they were taken care of, even if it meant me sneaking over in the middle of the night. You don't have to sneak over, I said. Thank you, he said. I moved closer to Tom in the fence. I could smell his sweat and found it strangely pleasant. What needs to be done? Oh, not much. That's why Marilyn grew them. She didn't have the patience for the kinds of things I like to grow. Tomatoes need water and light. The sun takes care of the light. Marilyn took care of the water? Yeah, she liked it. Said it kept her centered. I liked it too. It gave us a chance to chat. If I water them, can we chat? I'd like that very much, Tom said. 
Here, let me get you a hose. Tom stepped back into his own yard. I watched as more and more of his body became visible over the top of the fence. He walked slowly, and at the point where I expected to see some kind of garish shorts, there was nothing. He was naked in his garden. There was Tom's body, and there was the fence. I took a step back and stared at the ground. Tom came back with a hose. He tossed it over the fence, and I avoided eye contact. That was Marilyn's hose, so I guess you can have it, he said. I'm sure the tomatoes will like that, I said. Yeah, an old friend. Well, thank you, I said. I plugged the hose in and watered the tomatoes. I kept my eyes away from Tom and the fence. I went back into the house without a word and waited for John. When John came home, I showed him the tomatoes. The sun was gone and Tom wasn't around. John smiled and said he thought it was great. He told me he loved me. I'd been watering the tomatoes for 13 days when John came home early. They were visibly stronger. I thought of them even when I was inside the house. Tom was in his garden, as he always was. I enjoyed hearing him speak, but kept my distance. Each day he asked how John was. The day he came home early, John stepped out into the backyard, just as Tom asked how he was. I'm great, John said. He sounded happy, and I was surprised at his voice. I turned to watch as he stepped onto the grass in his loafers and moved towards Tom and the fence. It felt wrong, John in the yard. Well, well, it's nice to see you, John, Tom said, moving closer to the fence. He reached his hand over it in an awkward position, and John shook it. Tom was tall, and John was taller. I tried to imagine what my husband was thinking as he got his first glimpse of our naked neighbor. The thought made me embarrassed, and I stared at the water coming out of my hose. It's pretty cold out here, isn't it, Tom? John said. The happiness in his voice was mostly gone. Oh no, it's a beautiful day, Tom said. Maybe it is, John said. His voice was closer, and I looked up from the splashing water. John was moving towards me. Tom's naked, John whispered. I nodded and pointed the nozzle at the second cage. John left my side and went for the faucet of the hose. He turned the knob and it squeaked as the hose died in my hand. John returned and put his hand on the small of my back. I dropped the hose and we made our way back to the house. Have a great day, John said. You do the same, Tom called. Inside, John started in about the squirrels he'd seen nibbling at the tomatoes. I listened and felt glad he was home. John leaves for work and I force myself not to crawl back into bed. I stare at the garden through the sliding glass door. The tomatoes hang on their vines and shine in the sun. I wonder what I expect to see. A squirrel eyes the tomatoes from the ground, but leaves without taking a bite. I am unemployed because John says it's okay. I say the working world does not accommodate my skills and interests. He agrees without asking what my skills are. He tells me we're fine. I'm his wife, he has a good job, and I don't need to work. I tell him I love him for it. I circle the house in search of something to do. I check the mail and vacuum the stairs. The intensity of the sun grows throughout the house as I run out of useless chores. Before we were married, I had my parents for support. I'd run out of money, call them, and a check would arrive in the mail. With my parents, it felt like I was earning the support. I was doing something, even if it was only begging. At our wedding, my father smiled as he shook John's hand and told him good luck. I stop pacing the house and pick up the phone. There's no one to call. The only person I can remember wanting to speak to is John. I don't want to disturb him at work. I can talk to him whenever now. He is my husband. I think about calling my parents, but don't want them to start thinking we need something. I think of the tomatoes and decide to check on them. 
I know John doesn't want me in the yard, but I need the tomatoes. I need the smell of dirt and the sound of the water coming out of the hose. I step into the hot air and shade my eyes. I walk to the tomatoes and hold one in my hand. Its weight is more than I expect. It feels alive. I rip it from the vine and hold it to my nose. The earthy smell makes me think of John in his clean office. I reach back and throw the tomato over the fence. I look at the cages. Each is full of plump red tomatoes. A few are damaged, but most look perfect, hanging from the vines. Hello, neighbor, Tom says. He stands on the other side of the fence, naked except for the gold chain lying in his gray nest of chest hair. I move towards him and keep my eyes away from the gaps in the fence. Seeing Tom naked only makes me want to wear more clothing. The skin of my legs feels cold as I pull at the bottom of my shorts. I think you lost this, he says. He holds up the tomato with a smile. I'm sorry, I say. I have avocados for you and John. Thank you. John loves avocados. I hate them, but John doesn't know. Before we were married, we only talked about things we loved. When it comes to not liking something, we are strangers. Tom passes two green knots over the fence. I smile as he nods and turns away. I watch through a hole as he walks toward the center of his yard and bends for a trowel. His body is doughy and tan, like a freshly fried donut. Again, I feel a sudden urge to cover myself. John comes home with his briefcase, a smile, and a plastic bag full of tomatoes. I kiss him as he sits on the stairs and removes his shoes. How was your day, I ask. Busy, he says. How was yours? It was a day, I say, wishing I had more. I leave for the kitchen, the bag of tomatoes in hand. They aren't ripe and will be tough and tasteless. I begin making dinner and wait for John to join me in the kitchen. The television in the family room switches on. I slice the avocados and put them in the salad, unsure if the act counts as rebellion or love. Brian Brown lives in Los Angeles with his dog, Three Hole Punch. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off, copyright Bound Off and the respective authors, all rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.